Welcome to Faith, Reason, and Geekdom. I'm Roger. And I'm Dusty. My brothers and sisters in Christ, join us every Thursday as we work out these three perspectives in our everyday lives. Hey guys, we are going to have a very special program today because we are observing um, a couple of um, important yes. dates on the church calendar, All Souls Day, All Saints Day. Uh, am, am I right, Roger? Is that correct? Yeah, Halloween. This week will be Halloween, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day. Pat Flynn the- is back. Thank you, Pat, for being with us. It's my pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me back on. Well, listen, we, uh, Roger, since we last talked to you, Roger and I dived into this book called Hungry Souls, the Supernatural Visits, Messages, and Warnings from Purgatory. And of course, as Catholics, we have to talk about purgatory during this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a book that is um, quite interesting, uh, very well researched historically. It's uh, by a, general, a gentleman named uh, Gerald Van Den Ard, Ardwig, and uh, you can find it, you know, everywhere that you look for books. It's called Hungry Souls, basically. Um, on Audible, too, by the way. It's on Audible, yes. As a big absolutely. Audible fan, got to plug um, that in there. Um, basically, this book uh, commemorates a bunch of different um, ideas and thoughts from visionaries in the Catholic Church who saw different apparitions and had messages from beyond. You know, we're talking about saints. We're talking about somebody like St. Catherine of Genoa, who had these amazing visions, which we'll jump into. And then there's also a museum of purgatory in Rome, um, which uh, basically has these many of these accounts and contains relics of encounters with holy souls and uh, numerous evidences of handprints burned into clothing, books, and bookmarks that cannot be explained by natural means or duplicated, um, as far as we can tell. It's it's really a riveting book. If you are a Catholic uh, wanting to learn more about purgatory, this is a very interesting place to start. And we thought that we would have Pat on to help us kind of digest some of these ideas um as we talk about them raj you know we have a catholic audience and a christian audience and people who are interested in faith right uh but i'm pretty sure hopefully there's some people that are agnostic listening or even atheists listening to this podcast so i want them to move the blockers so pat can we start off before we dig in Move the blockers. So if you're a post, if you're a materialist, right, you're only into scientism, I only believe what I can physically put under the microscope and all that. What would you say to somebody to open up their mind as we journey in this book? Philosophically, Mm -hmm. what's a good short argument? Oh, wow. Well, that's a (laughs) that's a big topic. I'll do my I'll do my best. Right. So for people who are unfamiliar, I used to be something of a materialist myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, I come from a naturalistic background. And then as I sort of went deeper into the different branches of philosophy, uh, I gave up that worldview. I, I came to see that um, uh, naturalism, and sometimes these terms are used interchangeably. They don't always mean the same thing. Naturalism is is can be frustratingly vague at times. But when I think of naturalism, uh, just to get as clear as I can, I think of something that is sort of run by a broad scientism, which you indicated, Roger, right, is that you know, what, that's your epistemology. That's how you sort of know what exists, right? And what exists are those things that could be captured or characterized, say, by like an ideal completed physics, right? Those are the only sorts of things that exist or something that is sort of relevantly similar to that. And immediately, if you're coming from that uh, perspective, as I, as I was, um, that's going to cast doubt on, on the existence of a lot of things that a lot of people believe in. And I'm not just talking about like angels, in souls. Uh, if you go into um, the relevant areas of philosophy here, you'll realize that a lot of physicalists and materialists uh, doubt a lot of other things that would would make people very uncomfortable, such as moral facts in objective moral realm. Many of them even deny consciousness or mind itself because they don't see how that fits into this materialistic uh, paradigm. And it was actually because I felt the pressure from my materialist and, and naturalistic worldview um 
becoming what's called eliminativist. So it would it would find yeah. sort of something, some phenomena, not just ghosts or spirits. We can get there, but something like rationality or meaning or even consciousness, right? Uh, this sort of self-reflexivity that we have, this 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 what it is likeness to taste chocolate or whatever, and realizing, yeah, this is not something that seems to fit within this sort of uh, naturalistic worldview. It's not something we can really give uh, an adequate explanation for. So rather than explain the data, what, what they tend to do is they try to eliminate the data. Uh, and, and by eliminate, they'll, they'll try and give some account of why this thing isn't really what we think it is or why it's an illusion or, or something like that. And I, I found that just uh, entirely preposterous and, and often self-defeating. And just to give a brief history of, of philosophy, that, that debate is really no different than what Plato was arguing with against the, you know, the Peronian skeptics and the sophists, right? So yeah. they, they, you know, the skeptics back in Plato's time uh, would kind of argue against against knowledge uh, but we're not going to be able to make sense of knowledge if, if something like materialism is true, right? Because what we have knowledge of are things that are universal and they're determinate and exact in their conceptual content. Things like triangularity and justice and, and various modes of formal thinking like mathematical mathematical operations, reasoning via modus ponens, right? They're determinate and exact in their conceptual content. And the problem is... Uh, Everything physical or material is very particular, right? We never yeah. encounter triangularity in the wild. We never encounter mathematical operations out in the physical world, exactly, right? Yeah. So Plato sort of, you know, what he did is this is his famous theory of forms, right? Is there must be something more to just physical reality. Now, he ends up taking a position that's that's become known as extreme realism. You don't have to go all the way with Plato's account to realize that he's on to something, right? That there's something inadequate about materialism and that materialism it's, itself seems to be not just inadequate in terms of explanation, um, uh, but but ultimately incoherent. Like it would take down rationality and meaning and consciousness and thinking all of itself. So I always like to start there. This is not about yeah. specters and ghosts and pixies, right? Of course, materialists deny that, right? But if you're consistent and you go really deep into the naturalistic worldview, uh, you, you would be, or I would argue you at least should be skeptical of a great many more things than that. So all that is not your five minute elevator uh, pitch, but it's what I think is the, the the broadest and most obvious reasons to reject a physicalist worldview. Keep an open mind as we journey into this, because yeah. I think that will kind of make sense. Okay, give it a shot. That's all we're saying. Give it a shot. Mm -hmm. So also a warning too, a warning of this too, because when you mess with the occult uh, mediums, you know, card readers, all that spiritual reading, and this book kind of goes into most likely it's evil spirits. The souls mm -hmm. from purgatory or hell right. cannot be conjured up. You can't just conjure them up. Right. You cannot conjure them up on demand. Like some of these, you know, psychics and well, some of these psychics and, yeah. and, and people who, you know, sell their services or, or claim to have these gifts. The, the, the thing that the church is pretty clear on is that you cannot conjure them up uh, on demand. So anybody that shows up, and this is why the church is so adamant about not listening or paying attention to people who claim that they've got a message from you from the beyond, um, is because most of the time they're demons and there are uh, evil spirits that are trying to harm you in some way. They can mislead you. And by the way, it's very easy for them to figure things out from from the great beyond and to trick you wow. uh you know to have knowledge well, they could say uh, good stuff then right they could be like oh this is good and but well it's not, remember right? when i served you pea soup you know when you were little right and or uh, do you remember you or it? do you remember this past life you had right oh yeah. so yeah. I, I actually think because there's a lot of really interesting sort of quote-unquote evidence for past lives reincarnation but i think that can be explained very easily oh, through wow. angelology and demonology for I the never reasons that. that you guys are, are talking about right mm -hmm. if if yeah. these entities exist and they can communicate right and they're not in the sort of same dimension that we are uh then yeah and especially if they're supremely intelligent and evil uh these things are uh certainly as as roger said right it, there's a there's the church is very wise to warn people to be very very careful and in fact do not engage in any of this stuff don't even all, engage right? in it at right. all mm -hmm. yes exactly because you can be led down the wrong path that's the problem you know that you you have choice a or b make choice b make choice b and then all of a sudden that leads you somewhere away from where you're supposed to be or where you want to be and so it, it's very wise like you said and and it's a a time-tested um, advice that we get from our church to stay away from all of that now 
All of that being said, what we have this book full of uh, apparitions and stories and um, like we said, relics and things like that. These are souls that are showing up with supplications, asking for prayers, asking for masses to be said. Many of the accounts in the book are of religious and uh, pious people who are are, are basically showing up and, and asking um, in many cases uh, in the book, other religious people to, hey, you know, you need to you need to pray for me. You need to uh, you need to offer up a mass or X number of masses for me, things like that. But, you know, the, the thing that I was left with was we we talked about this this idea of purgatory. And it's really quite eye opening to find out that um, the, the the mercy of God um is is so great you know you start to think about why would this be required and what is requiring a place like purgatory is actually the idea of justice because we all are given a choice we all are given free free will and during our life the idea that we have our belief system tells us that the stains of our sins are what are washed away in a place like purgatory. You don't get to go into heaven. Only heaven is reserved for only the most cleansed, clean, um, beautiful souls, right? That's the place that, that we understand. Unfortunately, as we've talked about on other podcasts, we don't have a lot of priests that spend a lot of time talking about that. Maybe they don't want to scare away churchgoers. Everybody's, you know, and then especially in the Protestant faiths, you go and everybody's welcome to heaven. All you got to do is accept Jesus. Well, we don't, we find that that is actually, it's a little more difficult. You mm -hmm. think about the saints, for example, you think about Pope John Paul, you think about Mother Teresa, and and those people we know are in heaven, right? Because they, we we have a process for for verification, for for veneration, for getting them in into the canon of the saints that they are in heaven. But think about what they did with their lives to deserve that. What have we done in our lives, right? So we have a Sheen class, a group that talks about um, some of the lessons left behind by um, Bishop Sheen, who who is an amazing catechism teacher. Uh, in these lessons that he recorded in the 1950s. And many of us in the class, after after discussing the idea of heaven and hell and purgatory, are aiming for purgatory. <laughs> like we're like, we'll be we'll be lucky if we if we get to a place like purgatory because the good news is even though justice demands a place like purgatory, mm -hmm. um, we we look forward to being cleansed there and yeah. uh, and eventually getting to heaven. Now, here's the other thing that I was really impacted by in the book. Um, St. Catherine of Genoa, who was considered, I guess, a seer or a mystic, um, wrote down some of the uh, visions that she had of souls in purgatory. And one of the things that really impacted me was that the soul, uh, our souls, are wanting they willingly go to a place like purgatory to be cleansed because you look forward to the idea and and the sensation of love that you feel by God, okay? And so you willingly put yourself in a place where your sins are being basically cleansed away by this amazing fire that she that she describes in purgatory. It is a fire that feels different for every soul. Some souls have a very uh, painful fire that burns them. Other souls have a very pleasant, loving fire. And it all depends, uh, apparently, on the type of relationship that you had with God while you were alive. And I thought that was really oh. eye-opening. Nobody ever wow. talks about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, could I? There's a lot of really good stuff yeah. out there, Roger. I just want to uh, yeah, jam on a, on a few on a few points if that's okay. Yeah. So first, you said it, what I what I got is that look at purgatory and understand purgatory both from a perspective of justice and a perspective of mercy, um, and I think that's I think that's I think that's completely right. Um, but it's important to to dive a little bit deeper into that. So I was I was saying before the podcast that purgatory was never a big holdup for me. I know it often is for a lot of Protestants, but I wasn't coming from a Protestant background. I was coming from a first an atheistic background and just a broadly philosophical background. It just seemed to make a lot of sense, right? Especially if you already have a, a notions of God as perfectly good and just and merciful. Um, one thing that's in the tradition 
uh, that has sort of been forgotten these days is that punishment is a good. It's a good thing. Boethius mm. talks about that. It's it's actually better for somebody uh, to be if they've done something wrong to be punished than not to be punished. Or we could think about it as even as spouses. We don't want to bring the kids into it, right? Yeah. And we completely and they and they apologize and they and we completely forgive our kids. But it's like, no, buddy, you're still gonna do that extra work for mom, right? I've completely forgiven you, but it's good for you to do this to to have this punishment rather than just to to go on without it. The punishment is is itself a good. That might just stress someone because someone, you know, you hear, oh, I thought God forgives all your sins. I thought he wipes it clean. That that might just stress some people, right? Right. And and that is what the Catholic Church teaches is that, you know, you go to confession, you are completely forgiven. Yeah. But that does not remit the temporal punishment that is due as a matter of justice and yeah. mercy to sin. And that is a good thing. And in fact, I think you need to be on for any Christian, you need to be on board that punishment understood properly is a good because that's how you make sense of hell. Right. What hell is, is somebody who's so twisted in on themselves um, mm. that God is still extending the, the most goodness he can he can do to that person by punishing them for their twisted eternal decision. You know, purgatory is sort of the the washroom to heaven. Sometimes it is called right. You know, everybody's in purgatory is going to heaven is that it, it, you can see the mercy aspect from it, because, you know, most of us think that and I think this is right, that. Um, you know, even though this isn't our goal or our aim, most of us will die with some sin on our yeah. souls, right? But we won't be completely separated from God or Christ. But we also believe that sin is completely incompatible with heaven. All right, well, now we need to fit that together, right? Now we need to fit that together. And purgatory is is the solution to that, which shows that there's this there's this mercy room, right? This mercy room where, where, where we can have hope that even if we die with certain sin, you know, especially venial sin on our souls, that we will still have that, friendship with christ and we will still get to heaven even if we have to go through this period of purification and punishment and that is of course an act of mercy otherwise like bad news guys like like really really bad news there right so we can see the mercy of purgatory and of course this is this comes from christ himself he says you know those who relax the least of the commandments will be considered the least in the kingdom of heaven well that sounds a lot like people who are sinning <laughs> still mm -hmm. get to heaven yeah. right even yeah. if it's at a lower grade or degree right and and the idea is like we all wear this um clothing that is white let's say right and 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 as we sin that clothing gets stained all right now even though our sins may be forgiven the stains remain on this clothing that we wear into the afterlife mm -hmm. and there it is cleansed by this loving fire or uh, apparently a very painful pot fire that also exists in purgatory so that's kind of what you need to wrap your head around in very simple terms the idea of what purgatory is um and and how how the idea that hey wait a minute all, all of my sins were forgiven i go to reconciliation or confession or uh and and you know uh like like you said uh pat um we're promised that all of our sins will be forgiven. Well, yeah, they are, but we still have, remember, heaven is, is, is a very, very special place that only the spotless <laughs> are allowed in. So that's, that's kind of, that helped me understand a little bit more. Now, the other thing that um, I think we need to talk about is that there is a mercy that we actually get some reward for within this whole scheme as Catholics, and that is actually praying for the souls in purgatory. I, I, I remember a movie, um, the Pixar movie that uh, uh, that has the 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 kids that or the kid that that is the musician. Um, what's the name of that one, Roger? That's a, no, no, the the kid is a musician. The, the Mexican. Oh, uh, movie. Coco. Coco, thank you. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> I was having a, 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 a total uh, loss of, of memory there. But Coco is a beautiful story. It talks about all, all soul, not All Souls Day. I guess it is also that they call it Dia de los Muertos in Mexico, right? So, yeah. And the whole idea is that people put up these, these altars with pictures and flowers and offerings for the people who've passed away. And as long as you have somebody who remembers you, then you also live on in the afterlife. That's kind of the same idea that we see in purgatory. The souls in purgatory, especially those who don't have people praying for them or don't remember them, need that prayer, need somebody supplicating for them 
on behalf of their souls so that they can enter into heaven. And we've had numerous teachings and, uh, you know, saints and others who have uh, told us as Catholics, one of the things you need to do is pray that rosary for the souls in purgatory as a way of releasing them from purgatory so that they can go on and see the face of God every day. And, and by the way, the souls in purgatory, especially people who may have intersected your life, um, will also pray for you. So they cannot pray for their, for themselves, but they can pray for you. They can intercede for you. So it's this beautiful kind of uh, arrangement that is part of, I know, my prayer life of all the time, especially after having learned it, that you can actually sit there and pray for a poor soul in purgatory and um, ask that God have mercy on them, that Jesus lead them into heaven, especially those who are in most need of his mercy. And that every time you pray that, you are releasing souls from purgatory. And then as those souls obviously get to heaven as well, now you've got other people who can intercede for you. So you get this really kind of a cool reward that you're helping somebody who, who can also in turn help you. And, and when I became aware of that, by the way, because I used to pray the rosary not knowing that, um, the blessings in my life um, increased. Um, yeah. Um, a lot you know and 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 uh not only the blessings but i felt like the protection um uh, as well so every time i pray the rosary or every time you pray the rosary we should remember to pray for those souls in purgatory that's a good point because from the, this is a little ex excerpt from the book hungry souls and this is what it says according to an old tradition one's guardian angel encourages and supports the soul in purgatory transmits its prayers and in the end accompanies it to heaven by themselves the angels cannot mitigate the suffering not even the saints in heaven may do this of their own accord but only if invoked by the living and with god's permission as it is traditionally assumed only the church militant can come to the aid of the suffering church. The suffering souls in turn sometimes help the living who help them either because they prayed for their needs or indirectly because God rewards the helpers. There's a little wow. excerpt from the, from the book, Hungry Souls. That's very important that we talked about. And also like evidence, people are like, well, where's the evidence? Well, there's a museum. There's an ex exhibition of the Museum of Purgatory in Rome. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and it's it's like it have multiple specimens, relics, exhibits, mm -hmm. you know, behind glass. In 1893, the father vicar built this little chapel, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, for aiding, of course, the holy souls. And yeah. in it was founded in, in 1897. There's an altar that actually it, it caught fire. And many people, sadly enough, they, they were present there and, and they died. They also said they discerned through the flames on the left side of the altar the face of an anguished person. And they can see the distorted figure in the still in the face of the walls inside wow. the chapel, even when and then of course they, you know, they worked on it, they demolished it. But there's this museum of purgatorio, like there's so many evidence in there. Uh, exhibit seven A through D, there's four burn marks yeah. left by a ghost of Father. Uh, Panzini, a former abbot from Italy, Father Panzini appeared on November 1st, I mean, 1731, on the eve, check this out, of All Souls Day, to venerate the Mother Elizabeth of the Monastery of St. Francis. He left one mark from his left hand, plus a side of the cross burnt deeply into the wood of Mother Elizabeth's work table. The same left hand on the sheet of paper and on, on, on her tunic, an imprint of the burn passed right through, burned the sleeves of, of her tunic, and is actually stained with blood. She was ordered to, to cut it off and, and take the parts, all the stuff that's bearing the marks and the objects, and hand it over to the church. Record you could actually go there physically today. Well, that's interesting. What's interesting is the book is filled with a lot of uh handprints. And you you think about that, right? Like the handprint, uh, almost like a fingerprint, mm -hmm. is um proof of a person a particular person right that showed up so somebody may have had a vision of this 
let's call it a ghost mm -hmm. um, that showed up. But but it happens that the handprint is also the same size as their hand or, or, or meets the physical requirements of or, or, or description of this particular person that was an appearance there. So, you know, and, and then some people have a problem with the idea of, well, I don't believe in ghosts. Well, as Catholics, we are supposed to believe in ghosts, especially the Holy Ghost, right? So um, you can, I, I as a Catholic can jump over that pretty quickly, that hurdle. Mm -hmm. um, but Pat, what are you, what are your thoughts on some of this stuff? Yeah, well, I have you ever, have you ever personally uh, experienced anything or know somebody, a mom, do you, have you ever experienced anything supernatural like that? Uh, like answers to prayers. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's been numerous instances in my life where I think prayers have been definitively answered, not always in the way I was expecting. Right. But it's like, right. oh, OK, I see. I see how you did that, Lord. Right. Nice. That's, and it was very obvious to me. Uh, I've never met a ghost so uh, yet. Uh, hope hope to actually keep it that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But going going yeah, back too. to the to the purgatory thing and, and how we help each other, that, that that really just makes perfect sense. Right. Um, and it makes sense in this way. It, you know, God is not just a creator. He God is a governor and he's a perfectly wise governor and he governs things according to their nature, what they are to reach their final end. Right. We're social animals. Right. We're rational animals, but we're social animals. We're the types of, of beings that are sort of radically dependent on other beings, on each other for everything. Yeah. Right. We're meant to to help other people to reach their various ends in all sorts of ways but especially their supernatural end this is just who we are and like most christians except at least in this life right we're supposed to pray for one another right that we really are meant to help one another reach their supernatural end purgatory is just an extension of that it's an extension of that to the next life right but it's it's good for us to help other people not because people get helped but we become more saintly we become more loving and we ultimately better conform ourselves to God by being helpers, right? Mm. Uh, so so not only does it, is it consistent and make sense philosophically, it's also extremely beautiful, right? God is God is so omnipotent and so great that he he like he does he doesn't just have to radically intervene for every single person, right? He works with the nature that he created. Uh, and nature is just a collection of in, of natures, right? Including human nature. We are radically social animals right that are meant mm -hmm. to help one another and in helping one another that's that's really what helps us reach our end that's the life of love that we're commanded to live so all that to me like the catholic view just seems the most rich the most consistent and the most beautiful in this life purgatory and, and heaven as well right and let so, me touch about uh, on that social animals thing yeah you know uh, what jumps out at me is that yes we are social animals yeah. we we love to be in the presence of others right yeah. In purgatory, you're not. In purgatory, you are alone, and you uh, apparently do not feel the love of God in in depending, of course, again, because that that flame of purgatory is described in different ways for different people. But you're kind of sitting there alone, waiting to be released from this almost sort of a softer version of hell. Okay, yeah. and um, and I think that's interesting too because. You know what? What do you do to punish a human being um, here on Earth? Uh, you 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 put them in timeout. You you send them to prison where they have to sit in isolation or whatever. So that's a kind of an interesting thing when you talked about that path that jumped out at me. It's social animals, mm -hmm. you know. And you know, one of the one of the the kind of creepier stories from the book is a story of of Jania Vonder. Uh, from a high nobility in, in in Germany, lived in a a castle, and oh, yeah. she was telling her right. confessor how she took like a diary, and mm -hmm. how these poor souls visited her, and it would haunt her. And I mean, Pope Pius XII was involved, and he was a family friend. And I'm going to read some of her excerpts from the diary that she has. Some of them are, are quite chilling. Mm. November twenty second, both were hanging here. Hines bore prayer, which is plain to see on his face, but I don't care about it. I pray all the same. November 25th, Hines there alone. He was so wild that I thought he might even fall in the bathtub. I said, do you have to tell me something? Then he grew totally wild, ran away, came back again, and moaned terribly. It was not pleasant. December 1st, very unpleasant night. 
old Heinz was there for a long time and very horrific. I asked if he had shot my grandfather at the time there. When I said that, it made him furious and he threw himself upon me and strangled me so firmly by my neck that I thought I would suffocate. It didn't last more than a second to be sure, but it was horrible. Yeah, so those are some of the things. That, and one of the last ones, too, she talks about how how December 2nd was the last one and how he was with me from, from 2 to 6 and that she had to defend herself and she placed a cross in front of him and he would scream in the corner and she describes like an angry, growling dog. And in the end of the whole, because it's a lot, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but at the end of it, he's looking for prayer. He's looking for prayer. And he's begging for prayer and she does pray for him. And eventually it's like, he gets kinder. Like he starts a horrible attack. And that's another thing. I was like, that's the part where I heard, I heard many stories of, of the, the souls in purgatory attacking people. And I'm like, what? I was like, that, that kind of like that. that was kind of difficult for me to hear. It's cause like, wait, well, how does that square with like, like how, you know what I mean? Like if they're in purgatory, I know they're not in hell, but they're not in heaven, but then they physically attack. I don't know. That was kind of scary and weird to me uh, about that. What do y'all, what do y'all make of these, these diary entries from this lady about the ghost? You know, it reminds me of a movie that we saw called the sixth sense. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know how we saw all these ghosts that needed help from this little kid. Um, so anyway, that, that was my first thought that re that reminds me of that. Um, I, I don't know. I guess maybe if these souls are desperate enough um, that they might do something like that. But um, but it's hard for me to to wrap my head around it. I know that that's a very well documented case of mm -hmm. this particular person that was keeping a diary. But we don't really hear about that kind of thing, I guess, often enough in our own church, um, in, in our own time to know that 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 this wasn't just the imagination of 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 a person who who was having these visions or or whatever but um and i remember kind of skipping through that chapter in the book it didn't really call my attention precisely because i found it sort of so out of this world you know mm -hmm. yeah i think it's important when you hear things like this again you know um god gave us the church as as a guide right and even though catholics are committed to purgatory and committed to certain aspects of purgatory um you're not you're not committed to believing stories like those however you're free to investigate the evidence right mm -hmm. and unless it's been condemned and i don't think that one that one has been uh you're also free to accept that it's sort of like a lot of the the different apparitions right is that the church doesn't formally require uh, assent to various apparitions, uh, inc including Fatima, right? Fatima is Fatima's interesting because it's a lot of Fatima has been sort of mixed in liturgically. So mm -hmm. it's so that's an interesting case. Um, but it still seem also seems to be right that if you're a Catholic and and you wanted you, you don't have to believe yeah. uh, Fatima, at least the, the, the core aspects. That's very, of that. that's very true that you say that. And also, but I think you should bigger. at the same time, I think at least oh, for yeah. Fatima, you should, Me I haven't too. investigated all of these. Right. And, but Fatima, I have really looked into. And that yeah. one is that I that think extremely well evidenced. That's pretty solid. And what Let's talk about that briefly. Pat. Sure. What jumps mm -hmm. out about, about Fatima to you that, that you feel so strongly about it? Well, so, I mean, there's when, when assessing, I guess, sort of miracle claims in general, it's helpful to have just Evidence. like see if there's a, you know, like when should we even entertain these to begin with, yeah. right? Because claims are made all the time. So it seems like we need some sort of filter, right? Mm -hmm. um, so certain things um, jump out that that at least should make people say, okay, this one is at least worth paying attention to. Or, or hostile going, evidence. Right. So hostile witnesses. Hostile witnesses you know, multiple attestation. I mean, what was it? 50 to 100,000 yeah, witnesses, um, accurate prophecies, accurate predictions, all that. And various coordinated, quote unquote, call them signs. I'm, I'm I hesitate to use miracle because even when you because there's certain ambiguities there. So take take the miracle of the sun where people claim to see the uh, sun dancing. Um, I, I, I genuinely believe this was was something that, that people experienced. Uh, but I don't think like it was the actual literal sun. I think it was an atmospheric phenomena that could in principle have a physical explanation, but it's so improbable that it's clearly a, a coordination of providence, right? Right. Especially in relation to the dr the sudden drying of the ground and that it happened exactly when it was predicted to happen 
by the apparitions. So it's it's all those that and when I think of of miracle, I tend to think of like something like the resurrection, that there's no real it doesn't matter how improbable it is. This this goes over and above what what nature is capable of. Right. Um, now, there might be aspects of Fatima that are like that, but I don't even think you need to make that case. I think you can just say, hey, all these things happen. They're really well evidenced. You had the hostile witnesses that totally that either converted or totally admit this is this is totally newspapers. Yeah. yeah, newspapers. You have uh, the the accurate predictions is, is another key element. So you have all this sort of data, right, that needs to be explained. And then you can ask, well, what hypothesis makes the best sense of that data? Well, there's just the Catholic one that this really was an apparition fits within a particular paradigm. And here's the other thing. Um, miracle claims should also have this is another one of those filters. Does it have religious significance? Right. If somebody claimed, oh, I just saw a giant pink elephant walking down the street. It was a miracle. Other other evidence aside, you'd wonder, like, what's the what's the point of that? Right. Like, mm -hmm. how is that? How is there any meaning there to my life or anything eternal <laughs> yeah. or moral? So that's another sort of filter. Like, is there a clear sort of spiritual, religious, meaningful and potentially eternally significant message here? And with Fatima, of course, there is. Right. There's there's scary elements. Right. Fatima wasn't all rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, the, the reality of hell. Uh, the, the deadly nature of sexual sin, but also spiritual prescriptions, um, you know, pray the rosary, right? Um, um, dedicate yourself to the sacred heart, all of that, right? So it, it, to me, it passes all the initial sort of criteria to take it seriously. And then when you do take it seriously, you've got this really powerful evidence that is just the sort of thing you would expect if Catholicism is true. And I really don't think you can make sense of it at all on rival paradigms naturalism i mean no way you would need like ad hoc auxiliary hypotheses for everything it's just way too improbable but if you're protestant um i think you should be uncomfortable too it's evil yeah or you have to say it's, it's, you have to say it's demonic right yeah, but that's kind of hard because there's been so much fruit that's come out of it good yeah. spiritual fruit that i think yeah. as a protestant you'd have to continually like dig your heels in in a way that again i think is just way too implausible so i think fatima is strong strong yeah. confirmatory evidence not just of the supernatural but catholicism in particular because it is a distinctly catholic event and here's another strong piece of evidence speaking of that it's from a saint saint faustina and actually yes. this expert she uh, excerpt she actually that uh she actually not too she doesn't come out and say oh it was so she actually says bad i don't know what this was so to me that's an evidence because it's like she not have it like oh yes this is so this is on this is from the book on april 29th, 1926, Falsina Diary reads of a sister that had passed away. Later, she came to me and bid me to go to mother for of the novices to tell her to ask her confessor to offer me one mass and of her three ejaculatory prayers. At first, I agreed, but the next day I decided I would not go to the mother because I was not sure if this had happened in a dream or in reality but it said that she did get closer to the suffering souls and had a closer communion with all of them and, and there was other instances that happened to saint faustina that are, are pretty good evidence to show that something happened unmaterialistic supernatural things occurred and also too i forgot to mention and the museum two popes have also been backing the museum uh, Pope Benedict the Fifteenth and Pope Pius, so they're very much in, in favor of of, of of Father Suit, who is running the uh, Museum of Purgatorio. So there's another heavy hitters. You know, you have popes, you have saints. Padre Pio, Saint Padre Pio, right. also mm -hmm. was visited many times by the suffering souls in purgatory. So I found that very interesting in the book and too. Various physical altercations with evil as well. Physical altercations with evil from Padre Pio, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I guess the general point I wanted to make about that, a lot of this stuff is the church has her clear definitive teachings. Like you do have to accept purgatory as a Catholic, but there's a whole sort of range of uh, room to explore and investigate. And, and some accounts you might find really interesting and spiritually helpful and believable. And there might be other instances where you just, yeah, I just don't I just don't buy that one. Right. So I always just like to make it clear for Catholics. Right. You know, you're not you're not obligated uh, to accept, you know, a lot of these things you might read in books like that, but you might also discover, wow, I, I'm actually, I actually find this really convincing. This has been really helpful to me. So you're, uh, free, uh, to accept it as well. So you mm -hmm. have 
what is it public revelation private revelation mm -hmm. yeah because sometimes too i struggle with that too because i'm like okay i hear this from this even a saint or i, I hear this from someone that i'm like man i don't know like i don't know how what to think but that was good you know we touched on kind of like fatima and like you're open you're free to to believe it or not uh yeah i agree with you fatima that's like to me there's too much evidence but like there's other things that people might not they're like well i don't know if i believe this person i don't know if, if this and the church allows that the church is very smart because it doesn't want to be like yes this is definitively true you must believe it you must assent and then all of a sudden you find out you know 10 years later that it was fake or a hoax or anything like that and so but in the book it also talks about like what how can we help the souls and it mm -hmm. talks about how, of course, early Christianity taught offering the sacrifice of the altar to the Holy Trinity. It, it's very beneficial uh, for the soul's suffering. You had um, in, in, eight, in 387, St. Monica, the mother of St. Augustine, asked her sons while she was dying in her hours, like, do one thing. Remember me at the altar of the Lord whenever you mm -hmm. shall go. And St. Thomas, he had actually said, too, um, he held that by Holy Mass, a soul could be definitively delivered from purgatory. The poor souls need holy mass. It is a high act of value, offering up holy communions, spiritual communions, prayers, alms, uh, acts of charity, uh, even your daily work, mortifications, sacrifice uh, offered to God. All of those will help in the release of the suffering souls. Devotion to the sacred heart devotions to the immaculate heart the rosary is said in the book to be the most important prayer after the mass mm -hmm. um it, it's a, a big tradition uh to pro pray the rosary near the coffin of the dead days before the funeral um in the book it laments that this has gone by the wayside that that mm -hmm. we don't do this the days of praying rosaries for multiple right. days uh at the litany of the virgin Mary, the Bebrawari, other varied prayers are high on the list. Yeah. So there's different things you could do. Uh, well, Roger, I just want to say, you know, part of that is just so much of modernity is so. Yeah. Uh, the world is is no longer enchanted, right? But we live in a reality that is enchanted, right? So I would encourage Catholics to step back into your tradition, to your actual religion, reject modernity, right? As far as uh, practical and embrace the enchantment of the world right embrace the communion of saints uh live the, live the the great catholic mom advice of offering it up offer all of it up right your daily mortifications the mass the rosary all the time and you know in our, our family we're certainly far from perfect but you know we really try to live that fully enchanted catholic life so we do our family rosary obviously we go to mass um and we participate as much as we can in the parish but you come into our house it's filled with religious religious art and things that are religious significant to give us the, that constant reminder of what reality actually is and how important and prominent our faith should be because when you step out into everyday life and modernity it's just not there right it's so disenchanted so i think you just have to make real efforts and you just start in your own home of course right and you know, keep keep the prayer ropes, keep the rosaries handy. We got a whole rosary wall, right? So they're always they're always right there. Keep the religious art up, keep the crucifixes up, keep holy water handy, relics, all of it, right? Just just to, to us, like this is another part of human nature. We're physical, right? So having the, the those physical signs, the rosary beads, the art, the holy water, these, you know, the sacramentals, right? All of them uh just help so much, I think. Uh, in living that sort of full Catholic spirituality, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's very, we just had uh, Michael Gormley on and we talked about that, how uh, we're, we're demystifying everything in the church. We're, we're demystifying stuff. Yeah. We're not getting into what you were talking about, modernity, modernity. It's like ruined, like, yes, uh, let's, exp we, we talked about, cause we were talking about Star Wars and how like, like, you know, when they did the, the force is this and all of a sudden, oh, midichlorians. So we're like riffing on that. It's like, yeah, is George Lucas, he, he was trying to, he got into the church and demystified everything. <laughs> dusty you hear all the things you guys real quick about star wars though yeah. did you guys have you done an episode on like the the confused theology of star wars because in one sense they're sort of uh dualistic in an eastern sense you know mm -hmm. good force bad force yeah but I, I have always argued at the root star wars is christian because everyone's still rooting for the light side 
and they still think the light side is objectively better. For so now, there's some sort of higher criteria, right? So like, but, as much as they tried to not, you know, be the Christian worldview, I would argue at the end of the day, we're still happy that Vader repented, right? There's, yeah. there's still something over and above those the dueling light and dark, right? That it seems to me deeply Christian about Star Wars, not Eastern. Just curious if you guys have done that. Well, yeah, well, it's funny because one of our one of our guests, most recent guests, was a Buddhist monk. Monte uh, oh, yeah, yeah, and Monte Yakum uh, talks about the fact that this was uh, a story written by George Lucas after he became Buddhist. I have not done any research on that, uh, but this is something he adamantly talks about all the time. I always thought the order, you know, I just I never really thought of it like that. But yeah, I think I'm with you. It's like yeah, and I think one of the the I guess the nice things about the original Star Wars movies is they're sort of ambiguous enough. You know what yeah. I mean? That that somebody could come in from many different perspectives and kind of interpret it in a way that is pleasing and favorable to them. It's not like a lot of many modern movies that just wear their agenda completely on the sleeve, right? In a really obnoxious sort of way. Mm-hmm. I, I want to kind of go around and see what is everyone doing for this week? Halloween this week when this episode comes out. You got Halloween, uh, All Saints Day and All Souls Day. Like right out, it's going to be a perfect episode to finish it off yeah well our uh parish already had our all um all saints day celebration so that 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 yeah that that one is uh passed oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah i did get my mcdonald's boot bucket uh, yeah i got my nice too. i got like so, four or five of those but did you but did you get all three colors i oh no nice. i did get the white one i did not he, have the green one there we go oh he's got all three Look there you that. go there you collection go. <laughs> is is complete complete uh, yeah, and, so we'll do we'll do a little family celebration and we'll take the kids around the neighborhood. Nothing, nothing crazy. Nothing, awesome, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had some amazing experiences as a Catholic, by the way. Um, I'll just throw this in two minute version. I was dating a girl uh, at one point who was not Catholic. She was a Protestant. Matter of fact, she was a minister at her Protestant church, mm-hmm. and she had um, uh, an interest in visiting the parish that I was a part of uh, in California, this beautiful, beautiful church uh, called uh, St. Andrews, which is in Pasadena. If you if you have a chance to look it up, it's just beautiful, beautiful, almost a cathedral-like church. And so she says, oh, let's go into this church. So we go into this church. And this girl had lost her dad um, just a couple of years before. And we went into the church and it just so happened that it was on All Souls Day and they were about to start a mass as we were taking a tour And she says, oh, let's stay for the mass. So we stayed for the mass and she heard this incredible message that she found absolutely enlightening about our beliefs and and what we are celebrating on our All Souls Day and how, you know, souls need us to remember and to pray for them and so forth. And it turned out to be one of the most amazing things right after we were done. She asked me to teach her how to pray the rosary. She went to the gift store in the back of the church and bought a, a rosary so she could pray for her dad. And uh, it, yeah, and it, and it was really, really weird because it was one of those things that I walked away feeling like from the very beginning, that was the reason I met her so that she could learn that and take that with her on her journey. Because um, we we didn't last as a couple at all, but, but it was a really profound experience that I will never forget in my life. And um, and it was a beautiful thing that we have our faith to carry us through 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 death and through purgatory and through all the things we talked about today. So I'm really happy to have been part of this. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. But that's a beautiful story. Prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone listening, ask for prayers. Uh, you know, this Halloween, All Souls Day, All Saints Day, uh, we're definitely going to be keeping that in your prayers. But I, I like to eat the pumpkin seeds. I like to, you know, carve up pumpkins and, and I put olive oil salt and pepper mm. and i'll eat them i like to they're they're, they're good you know mm-hmm. they just got like sunflower seeds and you know i watched uh since it is again halloween theme we i watched uh halloween ids the the good and bad news you know the uh the bad news is that well it, it exists it's out there it's a thing it's a movie the good news is that it, like in the title it ends halloween ends so that's it was i didn't like it tried to be joker it tried to be joke i didn't like it uh then i also watched uh hellraiser which actually wasn't i don't want to recommend it i don't recommend it to anybody unless you're like me and weird and and, and still uh <laughs> But uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I think the first Hellraiser in 1987, I think that one was more gorier than this one. Uh, and thank God, thank goodness, it wasn't as 
deprived as I thought it would be. And I was like, okay, if, if, if there's too much stuff, I'm just going to turn it off. That was like two scenes only. They were short, quick. Luckily, uh, the rest wasn't, which I was surprised. I was like, wow, modern day Hellraiser is not like this. So um, it was okay. I don't, again, I don't recommend it. It was okay movie, but uh, Halloween ends Hellraiser, uh, eating pumpkin seeds, trick-or-treating, uh, and then, of course, praying for, for all the souls. Um, hopefully, maybe we could attend mass. Go for the trifecta. Yeah, the trifecta. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So I don't know. We'll see. All right, guys. Uh, thank you. Uh, before we go, Pat, where can people find you? Thank you. Again, this has been an absolute joy, gentlemen. Um, yeah, where can you find me? Well, most relevantly for your audience would be my Philosophy for the People channel. You can find that on YouTube, Philosophy for the People. Just search for that and my name, and that should pop right up. You could subscribe there. If you prefer the usual uh, podcast outlets like iTunes, you can find it right there as well. Otherwise, I'm around social media. You can you can find me there, and I contribute to a lot of different sites like Catholic Answers and stuff like that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking forward. It's all to over the place, Pat. Yeah. You're being too kind, too modest. Yeah, you're all over the place, and we we really appreciate the work that you do and the enlightenment that you bring to our faiths. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you both very much. Thank you. That was Pat Flynn. I'm Roger, and I'm Dusty. God love you. <laughs>